the ESV. It's kind of a shorter verse this morning, but we encourage you to look that up if you have a Bible app or Bible handy. Um, We're also going to project it up here. Um, But again, it is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we are finally here. We finally arrived in the New Testament. We've been working through the Old Testament uh, pretty much this whole, uh, at least the, since the beginning of the school year in September. Uh, we've been working through the Old Testament because we've been trying to find what are the themes that emerge by which we can uh, base our life. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we don't really know what to do with the Old Testament. And uh, so, you know, we want to find how do we read this Bible that is so long and has so many things in it? And, 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 and how do we uh, use that for our lives moving forward? Or, or how is God going to speak to us through that? And so uh, we've been talking about that. And maybe you're wondering now, Pastor Steve, why are we in uh, the New Testament? If, if this uh, whole sermon series was about the Old Testament. Well, friends, uh, as we've been talking about, the Old Covenant is meant to be fulfilled. And I want to show you something, actually, uh, from the top before we look at our funny picture. <laughs> but it says, uh, in verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I want to just highlight for a moment, the time is fulfilled. We've been talking about that the new covenant is the fulfillment of the old covenant. So maybe you've been wondering, well, Pastor Steve, why is this so different than some of the other things we've been hearing about? Why didn't we hear about the kingdom of God in this way before? Well, friends, I think Jesus makes it very clear that time wasn't ready yet. That that there was a story that needed to be told, that things needed to happen as they did in a way that only God knows. But now... The time is ready. The time is fulfilled, right? And so now we are ready for this message, which is a fulfillment of everything that came before. So it's not like everything that came before was not important, but I think we can say that everything that came before was not complete. Can I say that? What does it mean to fulfill something? It means that something wasn't full, right? You know, so if you have a glass, right, like... By the way, uh, we're going to have communion later, but I conveniently have a glass here. And it's hard to tell. I'll get up a little closer, but you can tell that I don't fill it up all the way because I'm the only one who dips the bread in this one, you know, uh, uh, because of COVID and many other reasons that I give little cups to the praise team. But so I don't fill it all the way. But, you know, obviously you can see that this is, the, the cup is not fulfilled. It's not full filled, Right. And in many ways, friends, just like any story, right? If you are to read it from the beginning, right? You can't read a story and read one chapter and say, I know the whole story. The story's complete. Of course not, right? There are things that build. So for us to say that the Old Covenant, that the Old Testament is not 
complete isn't a slight to the Old Testament. It's just saying that's how stories work, right? It's not done yet. And so now Jesus is saying the time is ready. The time is fulfilled for you to hear this very important part about the kingdom of God. So, friends, this is the story, right? This is the story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Uh, Do you guys know Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I'm only showing this funny gif because today's message is called the upside-down kingdom. What does it mean to take something and flip it upside down? This is what Jesus is doing. He is bringing a, a story. He is bringing a message that is going to rock the boat. How do we know this? Because there are good Jewish people, right? The Pharisees, who are very, very faithful to the law. I mean, they're probably better than anyone in human history from from some accounts that I read. They were so good at keeping the law, right? And so they had this old covenant, and Jesus comes along with a slightly different spin that changes everything. He comes proclaiming a message that gets him killed. You don't kill people for a story that's the same as the one you've always believed, right? The Roman authorities wouldn't agree to that. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, wouldn't have pushed for that if it's the same old, same old. So friends, is it safe to say that something is happening that is revolutionary, that is turning the world upside down? And so you see very early on in the passage, we get this word that has become very loaded for us. It is the word gospel. And it is a word that means good news. Now, um, the way that the word gospel is used in the Bible has come to mean different things. The, the, um, the way it's used in, in the Bible, uh, it, it says the gospel, the good news. To euangelion is what it is in the Greek. And that pretty much doesn't appear anywhere else except for in the Bible. No one says the good news, like there's very, very specific good news that we have. And so we have rightly taken that and and tried to figure out what is the gospel, right? This is something new. It is good news. News is new, right? And we want to figure out what this is. You know, but that term, uh, euangelion, is used in the Greek world. Like I said, it just means good news. And one of the most frequent ways that it is used is um, when there is something like like a great political uh, or, or military battle that happens. Like someone comes to power. So you have to imagine this is before the internet, right? This is before even newspapers or, you know, any kind of media that can be consumed in a very quick way. So what happens if Julius Caesar defeats his enemies on a battlefield 2,000 miles away from you? And by Julius Caesar winning this battle, actually the entire allegiance of of the Roman Empire or, or, you know, whatever, the, the empire at the time, it completely changes, right? The power shifts. And you have a new allegiance. You have a new lord, Right? But because we don't have the internet, how are you going to know that? And so what you would have is you would have euangelistes. We had evangelists. You had heralds, right? And by the way, 
Oftentimes in the Bible, you, you know, you might know the, the Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angel Sing. What is a herald angel? What is an angel? That word angel comes from evangelist or from evangelion, the, the, the word for good news. They are people who bring good news, right? The, the angels will come, you know, behold, I bring good tidings of great joy. I bring good news. And this is what would happen. Right? A, a big battle would, would change the, the, the power structure in the Roman Empire, and someone would run and come and be like, yo, guys, I got good news. Caesar won. So you guys are all under Caesar's power now, right? Good news would often be world-changing. It would be something that could either keep the, the order the way it was, or it could completely flip it upside down. What if I came and said, oh, by the way, the people that we've been fighting this whole time, they're actually your new overlords. And they're going to have a whole new set of rules and a whole new set of way of doing things. Right? Now, friends, it's just the news, right? It's just a reality that you cannot control. And so maybe there's some people like, I don't like that news. Can't change it, right? The battle's been won. The decision has been made. Something has changed in the landscape that has changed the world forever. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is bringing. Because by the way, the Roman Empire doesn't kill people for saying, hey, um, you know, I, I came to tell you about something that's going to happen after you die. Because that's what most people think uh, that Jesus' central message is. But Jesus is making a message, or he, he, he has a message that is so disruptive that the Jewish powers and the Roman powers wanted to kill him because of it, right? Because the world's about to flip and turn upside down. So let's take a look. Uh, it, it's, it's just two very quick verses. We already read part of it, but it bears repeating that Jesus came and he proclaims this good news, and he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, repent and believe in the good news. Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus' central message. Now, I'm going to say something that maybe you won't believe me, but I think whenever there's a message that comes that's revolutionary, that turns the world upside down, that there are going to be power structures because kingdom is about power, right? Who's king? Who's in charge, right? And, and this is one of the things you learn about power. People do not want to give up power when they have it, right? Like seriously, look at politicians, right? Politicians will say anything to keep their power. Don't believe any lie. Don't, don't go through any manipulation to keep their power. And brothers and sisters, I don't think we're any different as Christians. I think that this is a message that we have mostly ignored. This, this is the part that's a little you know, controversial, or maybe you may not agree with me. But I think Jesus' central message has mostly been lost by the modern church. We have taken it, and we have sanitized it. It has not, it, it's lost its power of, of like turning things upside down. Like, Friends, do you remember when Jesus goes into the temple and he sees this thing where 
People are buying and selling offerings. And Jesus goes through and he starts flipping tables upside down. He's not like, hey, hey, can you stop that? Or, hey, let me, let me just give you a little thing to think about. He's flipping things upside down. Now, of course, the people in the temple are very upset because this is the order of things. This is how they've done things for a long time. And they're actually making a lot of money out of it. It's the thing, right? If you are profiting by something, if something seems to be to your advantage, you're not going to want to change, right? Maybe the old structure with the old king, right, was a better tax structure for you. And you didn't have to pay as much taxes. You didn't have to part with as many of your crops. And then someone comes along, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now you have a new king, and now you have to pay more taxes. If you could say, like, mm, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. Maybe you would. Maybe you would ignore it. Nah, 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 nah. You know, if there's no consequences, if no one's going to come, and, and take your stuff by force or punish you for not believing in this good news, you might choose not to believe it. And I think in many ways, we have taken Jesus's, like, like you know, revolutionary message, right? Um, we've taken it and we've sanitized it. And we turned it into something that it probably wasn't meant to be, right? So Jesus's central message is about the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, Kingdom of God is not uh, new news, right? Well, what is the kingdom of God? It's the idea that God is king. We've been talking about that. Do you remember? We were talking about in uh, uh, Samuel, where it was talking about how the people were not happy with Samuel's leadership as a judge, and he had these very corrupt sons who were going to take over for him. And, and the people were like, no, we want a king. We want a human king. And Samuel gets all upset, but God says, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you or your sons. They're actually rejecting me because I am meant to be their king. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It just means that God is king. And for a lot of people, they are looking for a new kind of kingdom. That is a big thing right now. This is why the Romans misinterpreted what Jesus was doing. Because there are many people who are coming and they were whispering because the Israelites were under the political, uh, uh, I mean, you could say oppression under some, some ways, but they were under the control of Rome and they longed for a time where they had a king, where they had power, where they weren't beholden to a power like Rome. And so people are waiting for this kingdom. The kind of way that they talked about this is the kingdom of God. That's what people heard when Jesus came along. That's why his message was so provocative, right? So the kingdom of God is not a new concept. But what is a new concept? What, what is <laughs> provocative is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this is my first little, this is my little reading into things. The, the, the Bible doesn't say, uh, the Greek does not say at hand. What does that mean? Do you ever say that? Like, my friend Hadam is at hand, right? Now, you might say, like, my, my friend Hadam has arrived. My friend Hadam is right here with me. Why do we say at hand? I wonder if it's because to say it differently is a little provocative. Because what the Greek actually says is the kingdom of God is near. 
It's come near. It's a past tense. It has arrived. Jesus is not saying something that will happen. He's saying something that has happened. And so this is a little bit different, right? And so this is Jesus' central message. Now, I've been arguing this whole time. (laughs) You know, I've been talking about, you know, you can take the Bible and you can take one part of the Bible and just emphasize that over everything else, right? And and I talked about how that's very dangerous. That, yes, everything in the Bible is equally true, but not everything in the Bible is equally weighted. Now, this is where we're going to pay this off, right? What is the central message? What should be the most important thing? Well, let's look at Jesus. If Jesus is the Son of God, what is the thing that he cannot shut up about? He repeats himself again and again and again and again. If you think that, if you listen to a a, a lot of people, a, a lot of modern preachers, you would think it would be something like this. Jesus died for your sins, and if you believe in him, you will not die. But you'll go to heaven after you die. Right? Like, like you're going to die. Of course, we know that. But you're not really going to die because your spirit or your soul will go to heaven. Right? Now, John 3.16, it's a great verse. It's a very, very important verse. Right? But would it surprise you if I told you that is not Jesus' central message? It's part of it. It's very important. Don't get me wrong. Right? But notice something about that message. So uh, let me repeat it. It's so well-worn that we, we just kind of tune out when we hear it, right? Jesus died for your sins, and if you believe in him, you're going to go to heaven after you die. After you die. What is Jesus' central message? What did I just say? The kingdom of God is not future, or not just future. It's already here. It's come near, Right? So we, 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 we did a little trick, right? And, and if you don't believe me, friends, uh, that this is Jesus' central message, um, I, I did like a word study. Um, I, I did this before. I've done this in past sermons. But, um, you know, you just think about, like, what are the most important words? Because, again, you can cherry pick things, right? You can take one verse here and say this is important. Right? But what if Jesus just keeps repeating something again and again and again and again? And this is the case I'm trying to make. I'm not making this up. But when you look into the Gospels and you read it as a whole, there is one message he keeps repeating. And a lot of people would have you believe that it is a message of grace. Now, Paul actually talks about grace way more than Jesus does. It's important. Don't get me wrong. Grace is very important. We're called Living Grace Ministry, guys. <laughs> right? It is very important. But you know, it, it, you know how many verses uh, the word grace appears in the four Gospels, the stories about Jesus, where we hear quotes, we hear Jesus talking. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even have the word grace once, not even once. And in John, it appears in three verses. That's it. Okay, what about faith? Faith is really important, right? Faith appears, or in any form, faith, faithfulness, right? In any form, the word faith appears 34 times in the four Gospels. It's more than grace, right? You're like, oh, hey, we're on to something. What about love? I mean, th- this is like, right? Like, you know, Jesus is love. God is love. This must be God's, uh, the central message. And by the way, the word love is just a more common word, right? Like, like Jesus even talks about love 
you know, he's like, don't love money, right? You know, and so uh, love just gets used in many, many contexts, right? So it's a more general word. So you would expect it to appear more, right? And it does. It appears 66 times in the first four Gospels. You know how many times the word kingdom appears in the first four Gospels? How many verses it appears in? Not even the the number of cases, because sometimes it'll repeat. But if you do a word search, you can do this on Bible Gateway right now. In the first four Gospels, it appears 120 times. Remember, grace appears three times. Kingdom appears 120 times, 120 verses in the New Testament. Uh, Sorry, in the first four Gospels, right? Jesus cannot shut up about it. Kingdom, 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 kingdom. I'm not going to go to 120. You get the picture. This is Jesus' central message. There is no comparison to anything else. It's not even close. Right? But brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, how many sermons do you hear about the kingdom? Now, if you go to LGM, <laughs> you hear a lot. <laughs> but commonly, you don't hear very many sermons about the kingdom being here now. Because we did a really nasty trick. I, I think it's nasty. Because we have neutered Jesus' central message. right? And this is what we did. We said, the kingdom of God is not now. It comes after you die. The kingdom of God is heaven. Now, in Matthew, it doesn't say the kingdom of God. It says the kingdom of the heavens. And uh, Dallas Willard points this out, that it's the heavens, not heaven, right? Heaven, usually when it's singular, means that place you go to, right? That place where God resides, right? Wherever that is, we don't know where it is. Is it in the clouds? We used to think that. That's part of the reason why we would say heaven, because people just didn't have a notion of cosmology back then. And so where is God? Well, he's not here. He must be up there. He's probably not in the earth, but he's probably up there. And so we would just say, God is in the heavens, right? But by the way, like when you say the heavens, the cosmology was anything above the earth is part of the heavens, even the atmosphere, right? So the immediate air this is part of the heavens, right? And so, it, 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 like, like what they believed in the biblical times is there's a many-tiered heaven, right? And so, if, if you remember, there's a time where Paul talks about a man getting caught up into the third heaven. Do you remember that, right? That makes no sense if you think heaven is just one place where God exists. But it does make sense if you think that heaven is tiered, right? So, when you say the kingdom of the heavens, what does that mean? That means that God rules everywhere. It doesn't mean that God only rules after you die. But this is the nasty trick that we pulled, right? Or very convenient trick we pulled, is that we made Jesus' message just for after you die. This is part of the reason why I think a lot of us, we can't read the, the Gospels. We have such a hard time, right? Now, the kingdom does appear in uh, Paul's letters, right? The whole theme of kingdom. The word kingdom doesn't appear as much, but it does appear. So don't think that it goes away with Jesus, right? But the word doesn't appear as much. 
You know, and, and Paul is trying to address a lot of controversies at the time, trying to explain what, 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 what this new belief is and all these things. So he'll talk more about grace and some of these other things because he's addressing specific concerns of specific communities, right? But maybe very conveniently, a lot of us, we focus way more on Paul than we actually do Jesus because Jesus' words don't make sense to us anymore because we took his central message, and we made it something that does not apply to your life at all. We made the kingdom of God only exist in the afterlife. Is that something that is near? Is that is something that's at hand? No. It's something that's far away, right? Like, hey, I'll worry about that when I die, right? You ever hear people say, like, I'll sleep when I die. That's just a way of saying I'm not going to sleep, right? <laughs> you know, I'm just not going to sleep. I'm going to ignore it. Right? I'll worry about heaven when I die, which means you're not going to worry about it. You're not going to concern yourself at all with the kingdom if you think it happens after you die. Right? But Jesus does not let us get away with that. Right? And then he says this thing, repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. So the word repent, friends, um, I, I know there's a lot of... Uh, uh, connotations that this has for us. And, and, and probably one of the main connotations you have uh, is, is you think about like someone like, uh, if you guys um, know Ann Arbor or you've been on the Diag, every once in a while there'll be like a preacher who like holds up like, like a sandwich board or something and just yells at people, repent, repent, you're all going to hell. Have you seen that guy? There's, there's a couple of them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is not related to the sermon, but every time I see that dude, like, Aaron has to, like, hold me back. Like, I, I really want to say something, you know. But, but anyways, like, like you, you think of someone yelling at you, right? You think of someone telling you, you need to feel bad. You need to apologize, right? This is the context most of us use it, right? Like, like you did something bad, and you're like, oh, I, I, you know, Haram, I've come to repent, Right? Oh, like, like you're hanging your head, you feel terrible, right? And that's not something that sounds like really fun. That doesn't sound like good news. And a lot of times, this is what people do. They take this passage and they're like, yeah, but if it's good news, it would never make you feel bad. And so this idea of repenting to believe in the gospel doesn't make sense to us. To repent, feel bad in order to Receive good news doesn't make sense to us. But the word repent, um, repentance uh, in the Greek is metanoia, and it means to change what? Anyone know? To change what? Any thoughts? I know there's only four people in here. (laughs) It's to change your heart, to change your life. It's actually to change your mind. Now, in the Bible, uh, mind is, is, is not the way we think of it. It's just the thinking apparatus. But the mind was responsible for thoughts and feelings. And we're actually finding that that's probably true. The reason why you feel the way you do is because of the thoughts that you have. And they're just thoughts that move really, really quickly, right? Like if, if someone um, says something to you, they insult you, your mind very, very quickly pieces together what those words imply the kind of thoughts that are behind them and the kind of history you have with them will very, very quickly generate an emotional response. So quickly, you can't even catch it. 
So we think it's two different things. We're like, oh, the emotions come from the heart, and then the thoughts come from the brain. No, man. It's all coming from your mind, right? So the, the, this thing that is controlling your thoughts and your feelings, this is what needs to change, right? That's what repentance means. So Jesus is saying, change your mind and believe in this good news, right? Remember what we said. This is a revolution. We are taking things that we thought we knew and we're flipping it upside down, right? Now, friends, what is the, the, the thing that we're flipping upside down? It, it's, it's who's in charge, right? And, and, and you're, you're probably going to know this, that who's in charge? Do we have kings anymore? Is that King Joe Biden, right? King George the 17th? No. You know who the king is of our lives? I am. Well, I'm not the king of LGM, but I'm the king of my own life, and you're the king of yours, and you're the queen of yours, right? We're the ones who get to decide what happens in life, or we think we do. So uh, Dallas Willard defines a kingdom like this. It is the range of your effective will. So if you have the ability to change something, it is your kingdom, right? So many of you, you have a bedroom or you have an office or you have your house. And sometimes people will say, hey, my home is my castle, right? In other words, your home is your kingdom. I can do whatever I want in my kingdom. You know, you can't tell me what to do. It's my room. Kids learn this from a very young age, right? That we try to keep our parents out. Keep out. This is Johnny's room. And Johnny gets to do whatever he wants in his room. You got to knock. You have to get permission. And I can let you in because I am the master of of this domain, right? And so um, it it is the idea of what we have control over, right? And so many of us, we try to have control over our lives, over our environment. Now, brothers and sisters, are you in control of your environment? Are you in control of your life? In some ways, your kingdom is an illusion. The moment that someone comes and messes with you, <laughs> right, or someone comes and says, hey, you got to pay taxes, or, you know, you, 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 you gotta, um, you're being drafted, or you're under arrest, right? A lot of people, a lot of Americans are like, no, government can't tell me what to do. Hey, you know what? Everyone should get a vaccine. You can't tell me what to do. You should wear a mask. Hey, this is America. It's a free country. What are people saying? They're saying, I'm the king of my little kingdom, and you cannot tell me what to do, no matter what. Right? I'm drawing this line. Now, friends, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of things, though, that you are not in control of. Remember, your mind is what is at stake here. And you have certain feelings. And we have a world where people feel very unsafe, Right? Can you control the way that you feel? Can you control your reactions to things? We have a world now where we're so divided, right? And, you know, there's people, like, who hate each other and, you know, who think that they're better than someone else or it's us versus them, right? And there's so many things that go on. And, 
you know, like how many times has this been talked about, this narrative that, you, you know, we, we see some things happen, like, like the police will, will, will kill an unarmed black man, you know? And we're like, man, how many times is this going to happen? But this is the thing, friends. Um, I, 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 there was a friend of mine who um, told me that he's, he's a pastor in Atlanta, and he's part of this, this interfaith alliance in Atlanta where they were trying to dialogue with the local police uh, because, obviously, the kind of animosity between the communities and the police were getting so extreme. And so the police were talking to the pastors and like, hey, can you help us to talk to your people? And so one of the things they did was they brought the pastors um, to a police training facility. And in this training facility, it's like not real, but like imaginary bad guys would jump out at you. And they had like fake guns. And you could pull your gun and you could shoot the imaginary bad guy. But you're walking around and it's like kind of dark. And, um, you know, it's kind of like this like augmented reality thing. They got like goggles on and they see things that aren't real. But it looks like a bad guy jumps out. And sometimes there would be someone who comes and they would just take something out of their pocket and it would be a cell phone. And all these pastors, a lot of them were people of color. Uh, they would, like, like when the person walks up and they take out their phone, they just go, bah, 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 bah. like they just waste the person, right? And, and, you know, like in that moment, there was something for, for this pastor, this friend of mine, who said, dude, it's a lot harder than it looks. You know, th- there's just something automatic that happens when you see someone dark at night, and maybe our society has convinced us that, you know, um, black people are more dangerous. It's not true, right? But th- this is the message that has been spread, right? And our minds have believed it. There are some people who could be awesome people. Like, like, like they could be the greatest people, like really, really nice, really, really good Christians. But maybe they see a black person walking up to them wearing a certain kind of clothing, and it might be at night, and they'll um, automatically start sweating. There's no choice there. It's not like they decided to, to like, oh, I'm going to be intimidated by this person. But they start sweating, and their heart starts racing a little bit, Right? Are we really in control of how we feel? Now, I'm not saying, friends, by the way, I'm not saying that that excuses people's behavior. I mean, it's one thing to go from sweating because you think someone is dangerous to shooting them. Of course, there are many steps there, right? But we make a bad assumption when we think everyone is perfectly in control of their thoughts, their emotions, and the world around them. Hey, why don't you just choose better? Don't you run into this problem all the time? I mean, for me, even like something as simple as preaching a sermon, man, there's so many times I would come here and and I would be so nervous. Like I didn't feel prepared or I'm like, oh, are they going to like this message? You know, and I would be here and and like to me, like a lot of what I want to do when I see someone in the morning at LGM is I want to greet them. I want to love them. I want to make them feel welcome. But here I am, like my voice is shaking and like people are talking to me like, hey, Pastor Steve, Good to see you. And all I can think about is the stupid sermon. You know, and, and I can't focus on anything. I'm just like, uh, uh, like I, I just feel this kind of pitter-patter in my heart. There's times where people cut me off in traffic, and I have an automatic emotional response, right? And I cannot help it. And the whole day I'll be thinking about it, like, man, I can't believe that person disrespected me. And I'll get so angry, and I'll think about doing some really, really unchristian things. And there's a part of me that's like, whoa, stop, man. 
How do I stop this? Have you ever like been so lonely or like maybe felt depression or anxiety? And you're like, dude, how do I stop this? You understand a very critical concept. You are not completely in control. We are not completely free. There are so many things that we are beholden to. And they can change. But not by a direct application of your will. You can't just be like, I say this all the time. If someone's anxious, <laughs> someone's worried, someone's like, like really angry. If you say to someone like, hey, don't be anxious, it doesn't help. Right? That would be a direct application of the will. Oh, makes sense. I shouldn't be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious now. It doesn't work that way. You know why? Because you're not in control. You're not the king. Right? And, and there are so many ways that your mind wants to be the king, wants to be in control of your life. So much so that I think that we have... You know, whether it, it's, it's on purpose or we did it subconsciously, we take this very, very real passage. You know what? I have good news for you. God is coming, and he wants to be in control of the whole universe, and he is. And he wants to be the king of your life, the king of your heart, the king of your mind, to give you real peace, to give you real joy to give you a world where you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And we took that and we're like, oh, you mean after we die? But Jesus, I think, wants to bring it to us now. There are so many people who I think in this world, um, you know, we have made the Christian life about believing the right things. And a lot of the, the people that you see uh, nowadays, like, like there, there have been many, many Christian leaders who have fallen lately. You know, they'll, they'll have some big scandal at their church. You know, or, or they'll do something that, you know, makes the headlines. Those people believe the right things. They preach the right things. But I think the difference is not believing the right things. It's being able to live in a completely different way. And again, you cannot do this on your own. It must be done to you, right? You have to accept it. How do you get into a new kingdom? How does a new king come to power? Or a new queen? <laughs> you know how it happens? You have to abdicate. You have to give up your rulership. You have to lay it down. But for many of us, our minds don't want to do that. This is, by the way, what I propose we do in this thing called contemplative prayer. Because your mind is always like, hey, let's do this. Let's think this. Let's feel this, right? All the time. And we just follow it. There is no interruption to that. And even if you wanted to stop, oftentimes we can't. But in contemplative prayer, what we are doing is whatever thoughts you're having, whatever your mind is trying to get you to do automatically, that we just lay that down at the feet of Jesus. And this is simply what we do. Whenever you have a thought, any thought, it could be a good thought. It could be the best thought, right? But just, you know, in this moment, for however long you're doing the contemplative prayer, it could be 10 minutes. 10 minutes, just whatever thought comes in, 
instead of thinking the thought or even resisting it, all you do is you just say Jesus. And you turn your attention back to Jesus. I'm just here to be with Jesus. Mind? Hey, we, we, we can talk about homework later, okay? We can worry later, right? All that stuff, it can wait. But right now, I'm just going to submit everything to Jesus. I think contemplative prayer is about trying to get into the kingdom. And it is one of the most unpopular ways to pray <laughs> because we just, it's so uncomfortable, right? Did you think that Jesus coming in and flipping over tables would be comfortable? Of course not. It's a revolution. It's a change of leadership. Your mind's not going to want that. It's going to fight that every step of the way, right? You are hearing so many messages in this world about the way the world is. We're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks, but even things like your devices. You know, I I heard someone describe like, like, hey, did you guys, <laughs> like zombies, man. Like, we live in a world of zombies. We are phone zombies. You ever see when someone just, like, walking their dog or, like, they're with their kids and the kids are like, hey, dad, dad, and just, like, we become these zombies. We're just tied to these things. And one of the crazy things is that there are programmers that have come up with ways where they just want to get your attention, get your clicks, and they become really good at doing it. And that they're going to feed you whatever information is going to get you to click. And they're going to be like, oh, hey, there's somebody who um, has the same likes, has the same kind of demographic background as you, and when we showed them this picture, they stayed on this image uh, or on this video however many seconds longer. So we're going to show you the exact same image. And sometimes it works. And one of the things that was crazy was, uh, you know, in 2016, what they found is that um, this is just machine learning. It's just an algorithm that is just sending out things, right? Nobody's doing it. There's no insidious actor who's trying to change your behavior, right? It's just an algorithm that's just trying to keep your attention, just trying to get you to click. And one of the things that they found is that a lot of the things that people started clicking on or the things that were getting their attention were negative things, getting people to hate or getting like conspiracy theories and even things that were actually patently not true. But people were like, oh, this is interesting. Like, is Hillary Clinton really a spy? Is, right? And then people would be like, oh, and they would click on it, whether or not it was true. Right? And in many ways, friends, we have all become beholden to these things and we are getting bombarded with messages we don't even know where they're coming from. Oftentimes, they're just coming from people who, they just want your attention. They want you to click. They just want your money. And, and, and is it too much to say that those things are starting to be in charge of your life? Are you using your smartphone or is your smartphone using you? Who's in charge, really? Have there been times, because there has been many times for me where I don't even think about it. I just grab my smartphone. Sometimes it happens when I'm praying. I'm supposed to be bowing down at the feet of Jesus. And before I know it, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, shoot, how did that happen, right? What's really in control, friends? And if we live in this world where we are being bombarded by these messages, and we just started to believe things about this world, we have started to believe that we are in a very, very unsafe world. 
I mean, the truth is that probably the world has never been safer. If you think about like ancient times, but there maybe has never been a time where we felt more unsafe. Why? It's because of all the messages that you're ingesting. What if you could ingest a different message? There are many things you can do. We'll talk about these things. I know there are things we've talked about before, contemplative prayer, but I want to just jump back to one thing. Scripture. You guys remember we talked about this, this idea of like meditating and chewing on Scripture. But what I want to show you in the next few weeks is maybe some of the Scripture that I would encourage you to chew on. Like I said, all Scripture is not equal in terms of weight. And so if this is Jesus' central message, the kingdom is here, God is in control, you don't need to worry anymore. If that's Jesus' central message, I think we should be chewing on that. So this is how I want to end. I just want to take a look at one simple scripture, Psalm 23, right? And this is something that Dallas Willard says, that he thinks this is the psalm that describes the kingdom heart, the kingdom mindset, the kingdom mentality. So the Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't say the Lord is my king, but the Lord in and of itself, that's, that's a kingdom word, right? God is in control. He's Lord. He's master. The master is my shepherd. He's taking care of me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There is this sense in which you are being led. You're not completely in control of your life. You're not supposed to be. When we are in complete control of our lives, what is that going to get us? Oftentimes it leads to this really, really, really jacked up and broken world. Like 8 billion, 7 billion little kings and queens, we have almost destroyed our world. Let's be honest. It's, It's not great right? And so maybe we need a change in leadership. But this kind of change in leadership is a gentle leadership. This is part of the thing, the upside-down kingdom. Um, We're going to be describing this more. But Jesus didn't come with a sword. He didn't come with a conquering army. He came really, really humbly. And he came to serve us. And so in many ways, friends, the, the, the revolution is like, it's the most gentle revolution, but make no mistake, it's a revolution, right? It's a change in leadership. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? There's even discipline there. There's things where things in our life might have to change, but it's a comfort to me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, even if there were dangers present, right? I can sit there knowing that you're with me because you're anointing my head with oil. You're blessing me. You're calling me your son, your heir. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the message that is repeating most in your life? Is it success, success, success? Is it, oh my gosh, this world is really unsafe It's, oh man, I need to find some pleasure. I need to find something that's going to give me fun tonight. I need to find a way to fall asleep tonight. I I, I need to find a partner so I feel less lonely. What is the thing? What is the central narrative that is driving your story? Is it God is in control of everything and he is the king? 
I want to encourage you that maybe, you know, you can find uh, uh, praise songs. You, you can listen to a praise song over and over. You can memorize the Lord's Prayer. We actually sang a song that was actually the Lord's Prayer in song form. Maybe you could listen to that a couple times this week. Any of the songs we sang today, the, any song that reminds you who is ultimately in control, right? And you just listen to it again and again and again. You know, maybe you're, you're walking beside you know, a babbling brook, the still, uh, still waters. You're walking in a forest, and you're reminded, God, you are my shepherd. You're in control. Maybe you can memorize Psalm 23. You know, one of the things I, I tell people that, that I try to do, I'm not always great at this, but before reaching for your sm- smartphone in the morning, and maybe your smartphone will tell you, like, the latest Twitter news, or like, oh, my gosh, there's another crisis. Oh, the coronavirus rates have gone up this much. And it starts to fill you with fear and all these different things. Maybe before that, just take a moment to just be still before God and just recite the Lord's Prayer slowly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We're going to go into our time of communion. And so I want to encourage you to just grab a, 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 if you got bread, if you've got something to drink. Uh, praise team, there's actually little baggies in the back and there's a little cup for you. So if you guys want to go and grab that. There is the story that we have been talking about. The story of all that Jesus has done for us. And we are told that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Right? Now, most people would react by betrayal with vengeance. That's what we do. It's an automatic reaction. But Jesus lived in a different kind of kingdom, in a different kind of world. And he was trying to bring us into that world. And so he said, this is my body, which is given for you. He said this to guys who were going to betray him, guys who were going to lose faith. Take this and eat. Make my body, my life, a part of you, Right? And then uh, uh, later in, in the meal, he took a, 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 a cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Take and drink in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so friends, real quick, can I just pray for these elements before we take them? God, I just thank you for the bread and the cup. May they become to us the body and blood of Christ, that this is a story that we can become a part of not just here, not just on some intellectual level believe, but take it into our bodies that we know what Christ has done for us and we know that we are meant to live in union with him and his story and his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.